0: The following podcast is a presentation of Liberty Christian Fellowship, loving God and loving people in a hurting world. For more information about our church, visit us online at libertyobx.com. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and Instagram for updates and encouragement. We hope this message inspires you and blesses you. Now prepare your hearts to hear a powerful word from God. God bless. There are several hundred people in this service this morning. There was over a hundred people in the first service this morning. And that is the multiplied blessing of the faithful seed that was sown by elders over the years that allow us to be here together this morning. That's how it works. So when we talk about the blessed life we started last week, that point I just made to you as we got ready to take up the offering is a thing I want you to hang on to today. If we do God's things God's way it puts us in the position to receive God's blessing when we do our things our ways It puts us in the position to receive whatever comes from what we've done You understand this if you have children You do because when your children don't do what you say the way you said it You're not necessarily inclined to give them a bunch of extra privileges Right Okay, and so we find that when people are faithful to the structure or faithful to the principle or faithful to what was asked of them or faithful with what was given to them, we find that they are more trustworthy to be entrusted with more, right? That's just a principle that we all understand. There are business owners in here, I'm sure, that have let go an employee at some point because they couldn't be trusted with more. There are those of you in here that have had privileges removed at different times in your life because of an area where you weren't necessarily faithful. I'm one of those people. My dad is sitting on the front row this morning. He remembers times when I've been in trouble and didn't do what I was supposed to do, right? That's true for us. But listen, the great thing about responding to the invitation of Christ is he's inviting us into a life that he wants to pour himself out. He wants to bless us. And if the people of God and people in the nation, as they come to God and respond to the invitation, if they will do God's things God's way, then that's when we're going to see the blessings of God unfold. It's not about our preferences. It's not about a particular platform we want to scream about. It's about returning to the principles that God's given us. It's not about a new thing. We don't need another new thing or a particular person to save us and rescue us. What we need is God's people to do God's things. God's way. And then God will bless that. Does that make sense? All right. So we're going to dig into those ideas a little bit. The first message last week, I told you that it all begins with the heart, okay? The, The whole issue of salvation, where all this begins, when we come to Christ and we surrender our lives to Him, He gives us the Father's heart. The Father's nature comes to live in us. And then for us, it's about cultivating that heart. So if we're going to learn to walk in and live in the blessings of God, then part of that is learning to cultivate this heart that he has placed within us. And I mentioned to you a couple things. One of the ways we cultivate that heart in us is through repentance. We talk about repentance a lot here, actually, and that the word repentance literally means to change the mind. What does that mean? We need to choose Jesus. You want to do this thing that ain't right? What you need to do is you need to turn and choose Jesus. Because the very nature of choosing Jesus means not choosing that thing. Repentance. All right, through that, repenting in our hearts, repenting of ungratefulness, repenting of wanting to do things our own way and beginning to do things God's way. The second thing was generosity, cultivating the heart of generosity. That this is at the very root, again, of where this all begins with salvation, because John three sixteen. those of us that grew up in Sunday school, we memorized that one, God so loved the world that he gave. Right. So out of the right heart comes generosity. So we want to begin to cultivate generosity in our heart by choosing to be givers and by choosing to believe the best with people instead of assuming the worst and those kinds of things. And then we need to cultivate the third thing I gave you was gratefulness. We need to have a heart of gratefulness. I told the first service this morning, the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Your vote, the money you put in the offering, uh, what you do with your time, your schedule, all of those things are things we need to be grateful for. And some of you might say, well, but you don't know what I'm going through or the difficulties I have or the problems I have or whatever. You're telling me to be grateful? Yes, I'm telling you to be grateful. Because the next breath that you take, that just came from God. Your feet hit the floor this morning. He gave you another moment. In every moment, we have things to be grateful for. And here's the thing. Gratefulness, a heart of gratefulness, automatically gets your eyes off your mess and gets your eyes onto what you've been given. And when we do that, we suddenly realize God has resourced us and blessed us, and we can get out and be about our Father's business. But when we have ungrateful hearts, we're robbed of supernatural power. We get focused on ourselves. We get focused on our mess. We panic. We start confessing lies to the enemy like, I'm not going to make it. I'll never be worth it. How am I going to handle all this? We start agreeing with the enemy in our lives. And we wind up struggling and receiving the consequences of that. Grateful hearts are important. Are are we cool? All right. So that's where we started. Um, I want to throw this out there to you. There is a guy, his name is Stephen DeSilva. He is the chief financial officer at Bethel Church out in Redding, California. And he made a couple of observations that I came across in my study that I want to throw out to you this morning. that I think you'll find interesting. I did as well. He notes this. The average American worker, that means of all Americans that work, the average American worker, that means people who work minimum wage jobs, all the way up to people who work multi-million dollar jobs, the average American worker in their lifetime of work, which on average is 40 years, and that may mean that you change jobs or whatever, but so the average worker over their 40 years of work will have between one and three million dollars pass through their hands. And you're going, uh, you don't know what I make. Do the math. Just take what you're currently making and add it up over 40 years and see what that number is. You'll be astounded what winds up passing through your hands. But today, as you're sitting here, he also notes this. As you're sitting here, if you have $10 in your pocket or $10 in your hand, and you have no debt, you have more money than 25% of Americans. 50% of Americans cannot afford a $400 emergency happening in their life without selling something or having to go into debt to pay for it. What has happened is we've lived to the point where we have absolutely no capacity. We have no room. We have no margin. We are at maximum capacity. And like, okay, pastor, I know you're getting to the point where you're going to talk about giving. You've been talking about giving. We're in this series about generosity and all of that. Listen, we don't want anything from you. We want things for you. We want you to walk in everything God's created you for. This is not about keeping the lights on in this building, although that's important. Of course, we could sing in the dark and that might be fun (laughs) until it gets cold. Um, But there are things like that that are part of it. But the big deal is about what does God want to do in you and through you? And we don't even have margin to give, let alone even have an emergency in our life often. We've lived all the way to capacity. And here's what we've done. We have done this financially, as I just described, but we've also done it with our time. We schedule our lives wall to wall, and we wonder why we don't hear from God. Or why we have difficult relationships, because we don't have time to cultivate those relationships. We've done it emotionally. We string ourselves out emotionally with things where we're spent. You ever say that? I'm spent. And what has happened is we've tied our hands from being able to give, from being able to serve, from being able to love, to be able to get out in this world and really make a difference because we become slaves to these things in our lives because we have no capacity. And what the world really needs, obviously your vote's important. Steward it accordingly Listen to the Lord. But what the world really needs, there's going to be another election in the next four years. And if you've noticed the trend of the last number of presidential elections, they just seem to to get more bitter and more contested over time. Right? There's another one coming after Tuesday. I mean, it's not over after Tuesday unless Jesus shows up. Right? There'll be another election. What the world really needs to see is a church with limitless capacity. To love and to give and to serve. Because that thing, God pours things into your life. It flows out of your life and begins to touch the lives of other people. And the world changes and the kingdom unfolds. And then we start putting spirit-filled, Jesus-loving folks that have God's principles according to Scripture in office. Things change. And it starts here. The world needs to see us with capacity. God has given us principles to live by, and that will open us up to blessing. The blessings God pours out in our lives allows us to impact the world. And so we're going to continue digging in that into that today. Like I said, the most important thing is it starts with the heart. But then as God has transformed our heart, as we have given God our lives, if we're going to begin to that shouldn't be the end, it's not the end. Unfortunately, and I didn't say this in the first service, there are a lot of people who surrender their life to Jesus at some point and have done nothing since. They kind of show up to church on Sunday, they go home, then they do all their stuff, whatever, all week. They fight all their problems and battle all of that stuff. Exhausted, wore out, and they're wore out with this whole thing with the Lord. They struggle with doubts, and they've just never gotten beyond the first thing which was giving their life to Jesus, taking steps. Listen, there are principles God's given us all throughout this book that as, God, as we're God's kids, we get to do God's things. And that cultivates the relationship with God in our life, and we grow. So we're going to do that um, together this morning, digging into some next principles that are going to open up blessings. So what I'd like you to do is flip over to John chapter 10 with me, if you would. And we're going to read a real familiar passage of Scripture here. And I just want to point something out to you as we read it. If you uh, don't have a Bible handy, there'll be one under a seat somewhere around you. If you don't have one at all, take that Bible home, if you would. We want you to have one. And we'll also put it up on the screen here. Uh, John chapter 10 says this. The thief, some translations say the enemy... Who we're referring to here is Satan, who is the enemy of our souls, the ruler of the power of the air. He is the one that is pulling some strings in the earth for a season until Jesus comes back, right? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I, this being Jesus, if you notice the letters are in red and some of your Bibles there, this is Jesus speaking. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give life and life to the full. Now, if you look at our picture up here, we have a tree. And on the left side of the screen, you have desert, dry, got a dead tree up there, and no life. On the right side, you see the foliage on the tree and the greenery and the moving waters and life, because life has movement, right? And this is a picture of what this scripture is talking about. What is it referring to, since we are talking a good bit about money and resources here, is that there are two economies. There are two kingdoms. There are two ways this thing works. When we live according to the world, according to the enemy, according to our own selfish lives, there is steal, kill, and destroy. We do God's things God's way, and what he is offering in life is life and life to the full. The enemy's economy, steal, kill, and destroy, that's all take consume and ruin god's economy is life and life to the full that is give and give more two different economies one is pouring something out the other is taking something away two different economies and we have a choice to make and we make it all the time in our lives there are times when we live according to our economy the world's economy the enemy's economy And we wonder why we don't have enough or we're emotionally spent. We're living according to a different economy. But in the kingdom of God, when we live according to His economy and His principles, what is offered to us is life and life to the full. The enemy is a taker, God is a giver. Human beings by nature are takers, God is a giver. That's why we need new nature. So with that thought in mind, I want you to flip over to Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to spend some time today. Now, this passage of Scripture in Matthew 6 is found in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest recorded stretch of Jesus' teaching in the Bible, like at one time. It's a whole message from Jesus. Now, this message has to do with what we just talked about in John 10.10. In Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus saying, You heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you've thought lustfully in your heart, you've done it already. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit murder. But if you've hated in your heart, you've already murdered. Right? And he says there, blessed are the meek. They'll inherit the earth. Right? And all those people around listening to this would have been going, what in the world is he talking about? And what he was laying out for them, which was something totally different, totally opposite and upside down from what they had known. They had assumed, the religious people of that day, that if they just did the letter of the law, then they were going to get their stuff, they were going to get power, and they were going to get to do what they wanted to do and take over and kick out the Romans and have their military kingdom. And they were thinking that that's how that worked, that, well, if I just do all the right stuff, then I'm going to get my things. And what Jesus says here is, no, no, there's a different economy here. It's not about you getting. It's about what you get to participate in and what God's going to do in and through your life. It's a different economy. So when we get over to 6 here, the next chapter, we're going to look at where he specifically talks about the use and flow of resources is a little different than what we think and how we have lived uh, at times. So I just want you, if you will, to pull down to verse 19. This is going to be a familiar passage of Scripture. I want you to hang in there with me with it and uh, try to dig a little deeper with me, because I discovered some things in here that I had not seen before as well. So, verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths uh, and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay. Now, when we look, uh, in America in particular, where do we see people storing stuff up? <laughs> we see everybody acquiring everything they can as much as they can before it's over. I'll never forget. I didn't tell the story in the first service, so you're going to get a privilege here. We, uh, when we were living in Delaware one time, I don't know, anybody in here are, are, are Carmex fans? It's getting ready to get cold. Carmex. Not Chapstick. Carmex. Okay. So I had a little stick of Carmex on the edge of the dresser, and Joseph was a little little toddler, small guy, and I came into the bedroom, and Joseph was kind of in there hiding in the corner, and you automatically know your kid's doing something they shouldn't be doing, and I looked down, and he's got the stick of Carmex, right, and he's just opening it, right, and I said, Joseph, put that up, and Joseph looked at me, because he knew that I was about to get it, and he went and smeared it all over his face real fast and ran off. Why? Because he knew it was coming to an end, and he was trying to get as much as he could before I got it. Right? I wish I'd filmed this just before we were videoing and uploading with cell phones. It would have been awesome. But that's how people live their lives. People are storing up treasures on Earth, but here's the problem: everything that you acquire for yourself. before this thing is said and done, that stuff is going to get spent, it's going to break. The government's going to come and tax it and take it. And ultimately, when they bury you, somebody else is getting it. Somebody's going to inherit that stuff. Some of you are thinking, that would be a pretty funny way to stick it to somebody. Some of the stuff I'm going to leave behind, right? (laughs) But the Bible here says, the Bible here says, to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So obviously, the point here is, you can't take it with you. It's not going with you when you die. But this passage of Scripture right here says, store, don't store it for yourself, treasures here. But it says, store it for yourself, for you. Store it for yourself, treasures in heaven. So you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead, is what Robert Morris says. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Now, when we get this mindset that it's not all about getting as much as we can, as quick as we can, so we can enjoy it as long as we can before it's over. Our mindset will change from being an owner of stuff to become a, becoming a steward of stuff. Now, the difference between an owner and a steward is the owner owns it. It's theirs. It's their choice to do whatever they want to with it. They're responsible to take care of it. They're responsible to keep it. Stewards are people that something is given to by an owner. An owner hands it to a steward and says, I want you to hang on to this. I want you to invest it, use it, take care of it, but do it the way I would do it. That's what a steward is. So we're stewards if we realize that we're not storing up stuff for ourselves here. God has given us stuff while we are here, and we get to steward it, and it is purchasing us rewards as we go. Okay, I'm gonna come back to that in just a second. So if we're just not, and now if we're not fighting to keep all of our stuff for ourselves, what's happening then is our mind will change. And so instead of trying to figure out how how in the world am I ever going to keep shingles on my house with all the wind in the Outer Banks and all the stuff in my house breaks and what am I going to do and all of that, now our home goes from being a hassle to keep up with because we're a steward, not an owner, Our house becomes something we're privileged to take care of because it's an instrument by which we get to raise up children in the Lord. We get to invite other people in our home and feed them. The things you own, the resources you have, become tools to advance the kingdom of God instead of just things that you're fighting for and trying to hang on to and worried about losing all the time. Even your money becomes a powerful thing in the kingdom of God to feed people and to help people and to advance the the going forth of the gospel, okay? Your mindset will totally change. Your attitude will change about those things because instead of trying to keep for yourself because you feel worthless without it, you know it all belongs to him and I'm just taking care of it and I get to participate and see all these miracle and amazing things happening and the cool thing is you get to enjoy the stuff while you have it. It's there. So what are you doing while that's happening? You're storing up some things. There's only two things you take out of this life with you when you go. The only two. It is your relationship with Jesus Christ goes with you from here into eternity. Now you get to enjoy it here. You're blessed with it here. Right? But it goes on forever. You take it with you. The only other thing you take with you when you go are the relationships with people that you make in Jesus Christ. It's the only two things that go. Everything else you ain't taking with you. So, when we look at our stuff as a provision from God to invest in those two things, all of a sudden there's an incredible blessing, a blessed life that's going to unfold for us as we go. Because even your cell phone is a way to invest in relationships with people, and you can steward it that way to encourage people and stay in touch with people and coordinate with people to do what? Kingdom things and kingdom life. Does that make sense? Your whole perspective, now you get to enjoy it, ain't nothing wrong with having a cell phone. But your perspective on it is important. All right. so when we understand it, then we understand that we can be faithful with the little we've been entrusted. And then God will entrust us with more as we go because we're doing God's things God's way. And we're investing in our relationship with Him and the relationships with others. And then our life will be full of joy, hope, and security. The more you own and the more desperate you are to cultivate it, keep it, fight for it, to have more, the more insecure you feel because the more you got to take care of and the more you got to lose. The more you understand that God owns it all and you just get to take care of it, then God knows he can trust you with more. All right, look down at the next verse with me. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? And we're going to come back to those two verses in just a minute because I've always thought those are weird. That's a weird two verses to stick in the middle of this thing is what I've always thought. And the Lord, uh, really spoke to some, uh, to me about some of those things. And I think, uh, Uh, It'll speak to you what it spoke to me. Um, Before we do that, how many of you have had children that at some point drew a little treasure map on a piece of paper and went out on a little play treasure hunt? Anybody? Thank you. Right there. Or have done that. Or when you were little, you were playing that there was hidden treasure somewhere. And you go out and you do the whole pretend you look and you pretend that you got a pirate ship or whatever. Um, I actually have a hole in my backyard that's about waist deep that Joseph and Olivia dug that I've not filled in and uh, yet. Where they were out digging one day and pretending that they were digging to find treasure and whatnot. He did find a pipe at the bottom of it. But, um, but he did. They have dug a big hole in my backyard. And here's the deal. We're all looking for treasure. That's why we buy things. It's why we acquire things. It's why we're looking for the perfect relationships. It's why we're looking for a better job. We're looking for things that satisfy. We're looking for things that give meaning. We're all on that treasure hunt. Scripture here tells us that where our treasure is, is where our heart's going to go. Now, obviously, we're going to talk about God being our treasure in a sense, but really, we also have been entrusted with wealth. And sometimes that becomes the thing that we prize. Now, I've had people say to me, and I have said myself, well, God's first in my life. Or I've heard other people say, well, I'm gonna, you need to put God first. Right? Or they order the life. It's God first, family second, right? God first. How do you measure that? How do you know if God's first? I mean, it's got to be more than just words that we say, because I don't know if you're like me. I've had somebody say to me before, uh, well, Scott, um, I'm going to be there for you. And when I turned around and needed them, they weren't there. I've had people make promises that they didn't keep. I've been that person. And how about this one? I'm going to pray for you. Sometimes that's just another way Christians say goodbye to each other. That'll sink in in a second. (laughs) We really don't really sincerely get before the Lord and have a conversation with God. It's just a parting thought that we share, and we really are being dismissive of someone else's struggles. Empty words. So if we say we're going to put God first, if we say God's going to be our treasurer, we're going to give our treasure. How do we know? Well, you follow the treasure map. You follow the clues to find the treasure. Look at your calendar. Where are you spending your time? It'll lead you right to the things that you're investing most in. How about just list out for yourself the things that have you emotionally upset and follow that and see. For some of us, we discover that unforgiveness is our treasure. Right? I've done that. Here's the polite one. If you open your checkbook or if you bank online and look at your bank account and follow the clues, you'll find where your treasure is. Now listen, the reason I'm telling you this is I want you to become absolutely free. If we are average Americans in here, we are beyond capacity because as soon as we start taking out loans for things we're not making enough money for and we're living beyond our means and we're at 101 or 110 or 115 percent, We have absolutely zero capacity to be the givers and the servants and the world changers that God's called us to be. I want you to be free. And listen, I need you. And you need me so that we can go out and be the army that God's called us to be. Does that make sense? You follow the markers and find where your treasure is. Identify that thing. There's a cycle here. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So my wife whom I love dearly. You hear me talk about Lisa all the time. I love my wife. She doesn't threaten me or pay me to say those things. And, um, and uh, if I, my heart is that I love my wife, that's evidenced by how I speak to my wife, how I treat my wife, how I spend my time with my wife, right? The cool thing about that is then, that's my heart. It's shown by where I'm putting my treasure of my time and my words and my emotional energy, even money that I spend on my wife. The cool thing is when I invest that treasure in that relationship, my wife, my heart winds up following my treasure. Because the more I invest, there's a yield on that return. That there's a yield on it that returns back to me. As I pour love into that relationship, that relationship deepens. The more that relationship deepens, the more I'm investing in it, the more my heart is there. It's a cycle. If my heart is to acquire, to have, to be, you know, um, Matt Posnanski will tell you he works at Verizon. They didn't have enough iPhones on the day that the the new iPhone was released. And some of the people that showed up to get a new iPhone, their last iPhone was still working just fine. It's just it was no longer good enough because there was a new thing. And they're unsatisfied with a perfectly good working thing just because there's a newer and a shinier one. And so... They go and drop a lot of change on a new phone that they don't necessarily need, right? Their treasure is going to where their heart is, and their heart's following their treasure. And what winds up happening is it perpetuates this dissatisfactory cycle in their life. And what happens is their stuff has their heart, which means your stuff rules your life. All right, are we tracking? Are we okay? Okay. All right, this is fun, isn't it? Now, if you look down at verses 22 again, the eye of the lamp uh, is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. The word healthy and the word unhealthy are the word bad here in that passage of Scripture and some of your translations It has. It means unhealthy, but it means unhealthy in a certain way. It means healthy, but it means healthy in a certain way. And the Greek there, when it says if your eyes are healthy, it means if your eyes are looking for generosity is what that literally means. Now it makes more sense in the context of the passage. And it says if your eyes are unhealthy, it means if your eyes are stingy. If you are looking for self. If your eyes are greedy is what it means. Now... If we are looking for ways to invest our treasure where we want our heart to go, then our whole body will fill up with that, with what we see. If our eyes are looking to acquire for self out of greed and to try to find our self-worth in that or try to prove something to somebody or whatever, then we're going to wind up being filled up with that. And that leads us to the next verse and makes it make complete sense. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Um, I brought this up here. How many of you guys have a shelf in your house that has a few trophies on it? Anybody got a few trophies anywhere in a box? My wife actually has a beauty pageant trophy from uh, high school. I should have brought that one. And there's a picture, but she had, like, she had like 80s hair. She might not appreciate that. Um, but uh, um, I'll show you the picture sometime. You'll see, it's pretty awesome. But um, this is the only trophy that I ever received. Now, I was on a championship soccer team in high school, but we lettered and got a pin. But um, this is the only trophy I actually ever like, just won. Um, I was in uh, college in uh, Western North Carolina, I was not a particularly athletic guy uh, for the most part. Um, I am a nerdy guy, most of you guys know that. And I had gotten into this hobby where I was racing hobby class um, uh, uh, radio control cars uh, while I was in college. Now these are not ones that you can buy at Walmart, these are ones that you order in kits and you have to build them and you can change the motors and tires and just like a real race car and change the shock oil and all that stuff to make them drive different. And I had been racing the little car that was a more inexpensive one uh, at the local track for a while. And those guys would whip my pants all the time. They had these high-dollar, high-tech cars, all these parts and faster motors than I had. And here I was chasing them around the track on mine with a little more plastic parts and not so good. And, And I had to learn how to drive a car that didn't track exactly straight most of the time. Well... I um, was always, we didn't have a lot of money, but I was always trading and swapping stuff. So I had traded some stuff to another guy and gotten this really, really nice buggy, this car. And so I showed up at the track that week and absolutely whipped the pants off those other guys that had been beating me that week. No joke, and won this trophy. I came in first. Now, here's the deal, though. I had been working with what I had for a while and had to really work on driving a car that didn't drive so hot. Little race car, but what I had done is learned driving skills with what I had, so that when I was entrusted with something more and better, I could do a whole lot more with it because I was ready. And that's kind of how this process works. That's kind of how this process works. But the thing is, you would have thought I won the lottery. This is a little indoor dirt track with about eight nerds and radio-controlled cars, and I get this trophy, and I'm all excited about it. Why? Because we love to be first. We love to be first. And truthfully, being first isn't a bad thing, because even that becomes something that you steward. It's another thing that you're given. But we love to be first. And in our brokenness and in our sickness as human beings at times, the desire to be first competes for that place that provides the blessings of God in us. In Genesis chapter 3, you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And God has told them not to eat of the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And the enemy comes to him and lies to him. And he says, surely God didn't say. We hear that all the time. Oh, it's not going to be that bad. Oh, don't worry about it. We hear those kinds of lies. Don't believe them just telling you. So then he comes comes and says, surely God didn't say. And then he says that if you do this, you will become like God. Now, here's the thing. They were already like God. The Bible says that they were created in the image of God. He was lying to them to rob them of what was theirs. And what was he lying to them about? You need to be first. But the thing is, you take God's place in your life. You be first. And we've been doing that ever since. And, and ever, whenever we have the desire to take the first place in our life and do things our way, the way we want, we get robbed in the end of that. We lose. But when we let God be first, we always are in position to receive God's things God's way. The blessings of God. It's important to understand there's only one first place and God needs to have it. You can't serve two masters. You've heard it said Bob Dylan said it, right? you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, it might just be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody, is what he said. Do you have obligations in your life, things that you feel tied to that if you didn't have you feel like, you know, I mean, if I just didn't have that going on, I could do more. If I wasn't committed to this, and I could really serve God. Or how about this one? If I won the lottery, I could give so much. If I wasn't in debt, I could finally start tithing. Truth is, if we're not doing it now, we're not likely to do it then. Because it's our nature to be first and give to ourselves first. Now, I'm not saying there aren't principles of good stewardship to deal with those other things. And later uh, this month, you're going to be getting an email or an announcement uh, on Sunday morning. We're going to offer a budget class here for those of you that are interested in developing a better budget, if you already have one or if you've never had one in your home, so that you can get these things aligned so that you can begin to live with the freedom that God wants you to have. Um, There are ways to deal with that. But the truth is, if we're not doing it now, we're not likely to do it then. So we've got to begin to start to put God first. The principle, the way this works, is to put God first. To ask God, it's like I told you to pray about your vote. Maybe some of us have been so caught up in the news and our particular preference on the issues that we haven't just stopped, pushed away from it, cut the TV off, and got together with God and said, God, I got this vote. What do you want me to do? God first. God first with your time. God first with your finances. We get financially indebted, or maybe we're in debt to a relationship, or indebted to unforgiveness, or indebted to our schedule, and we literally become slaves to the thing that we're indebted to. Right? Because we owe. We owe. We serve them and they rule over us. This passage of Scripture says that you can't serve God and money. There's nothing else in Scripture that's described that way. It doesn't say you can't serve God in your schedule. It doesn't say you can't serve God and love your wife. It doesn't say that. It says you can't serve God in money. Nothing else in all of creation competes for your heart like resources that teach you to depend on yourself. Did you catch that? When we acquire a lot for ourselves, we feel successful. We feel first. We feel like, I got this. Nothing else competes for your heart like money does. Nothing else competes for it. So, if you'll pull up that slide there, you got it up. It says, what you serve, you will worship, and what you worship, you will serve. And here's the deal. We either are going to worship God with our finances, or we're going to worship our finances. Because it will. now you're thinking, I don't bow down to my checkbook. No, but we have a lot of tears about the bills we can't pay, and it grips our heart and controls our emotions. Oh, well, I can't do that because I'm so indebted. I'd really like to, but I can't. That thing's in charge of you. And what I want for you is I want you to be free so that that stuff's not in charge of you so that you can be free to do things that God wants you to do. So the way you do this is to put him first, to give him your first, to give him your best with your time, with your talents, with your finances. God's example to us was exactly that. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, and over in Colossians 1:15, those two passages of Scripture, it describes Jesus as the firstborn, and it describes him as the first fruit. And if you look all throughout the Old Testament, you will see where God always asked them to give the first of their crops, the first of their cattle, to give them first, to give God the highest, to give God the best. Why? Because that means we're keeping him up here and everything else is below it. It's worship. This is an act of worship. Worship, it's easy to get, easy, to get, easy to get deceived by it, but worship is not singing in church. It's one element of it, but that's not all it is. Worship is anything, worship is anything that we give to, right? It's giving, it's the act of giving, it's the act of sacrifice. So we need to worship God first. We need to ask him first. We need to give him our highest and our best, the act of worship. And when we lift God up to the highest place, everything else is less. If we would just start thanking God and acknowledging God and giving to God first, then maybe some of the other things wouldn't look so big anymore. We've allowed our God to be too small often. Now, the example also for us in Scripture, you've heard it before, is the word tithe. That word literally just means 10%. What it is is returning a portion of what God has afforded to us as a resource to him. What that does is not that he needs it. We need to do it because it keeps those things properly aligned so that stuff doesn't grip our heart and we become slaves to our finances. Does that make sense to you guys? This morning, it's about now for some of you saying, Look, you don't understand. I'm already at like 150%. There is no 10%. Well, but what you do is you take a step. If you don't take a step out of where you are, you'll never get there, right? So your step may be to tithe some time and come to a class on budgeting so you can begin to work on getting free. Are we okay? Or tithe some serving because you may wind up meeting somebody who winds up teaching you some things and helping you grow and meeting some of your needs. The answer is always generosity, and it's always giving. When these things are in line, then these next verses make sense. When we have this, God's things, God's way, God first, verse 25 says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And you're going, you don't know what's going on in my life. I'm saying, look, you don't know what's going on in mine either. We all have things to worry about. We look at this country, and we have a lot to worry about. But the truth is, if we will put God first, and that comes by action, by how we serve, how we live, how we forgive, how we give, then what winds up happening is we're in a position where we go, I'm not going to worry about that stuff. My God's got it. It reorients our perspective where we're not controlled by worry anymore. So you guys stand up with me, if you will. If I can get the worship team just to come back real quick as I get ready to let you go. I don't want you to be slaves to earthly masters. I want you to be free in the kingdom of God. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, and this is a popular passage, it's always taught. It's interesting. Just as I told you that this passage in Matthew 6 is the only place where it says you, you can't serve God money, where money's described that way, the competitor for your heart. In Malachi 3, this is the only place in the Bible where this is said. God says, test me in this about giving. He says, test me. In other words, God's saying, I dare you. Become generous and see what I'll do. Is what God says. If you look at that passage, he says that he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings so much you can't contain and that he will rebuke the enemy on your behalf. That when we become generous people and servants of God, the blessings of God and the protection of God begin to come over our life, because we can be entrusted with more as we go, and we'll see the world change. Does that make sense to you guys today? I want this for you? I really, really do. So let's pray together. And as we pray today, I gotta ask uh, ask you this: Would you make a decision today to stop being a slave to your fear, to unforgiveness, to your finances? The Bible says that Jesus came to set us free for freedom's sake. God doesn't have a gimmick here. The only agenda he's got is he just wants you as his kids and he wants to bless the tar out of you. That's what he wants to do. Because he knows that when you receive that, you become people who change the world. His kingdom will unfold. We'll have the resources to change things around here and in our country and in our community. Make a decision not to be a slave anymore today. Ask the Lord to speak to you. About your finances. What do you need to do? What's God asking of you? Is he asking you to start tithing because you haven't been? Is he asking you to just say, hey, just step up a percent, if you will. Your neighbor that you've been ignoring because you don't like them much, go knock on their door today. I know it's missing part of the football game, but give me that portion of the football game so that I can go show you a miracle when you go see your neighbor. It's what God wants to do. Pray about that today with me, will you? Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be free. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us in Christ to be generous people, which makes us more like you, which changes the world. Thank you, God, that you're not asking for something from us, but that you want something for us, that you want to bless us as your kids. You want us to go out and be a blessing to the world. You want us to become givers because you're a giver. Your way works, God. Your way works. Some of us, and I've just been feeling it in my spirit all morning, that there's just somebody in here and unforgiveness has been your thing. You have been worshiping unforgiveness because you give it emotional energy and you hang on to it and you cling tightly to it and you're just, I'm not going to give them forgiveness. And all it's doing is it's sucking you dry and robbing you. And the Lord is saying today that if you will just give forgiveness, forgiveness means to be in favor of giving, to, be, to forgive. And I'm telling you, God will release a freedom in your life that you've not known in years. I believe that this morning. So Father, thank you for moving in our midst today. Thank you for the opportunity to go and change our nation on Tuesday. Not for the better, not for the worst, not for a particular party, but for kingdom's sake. To see Jesus glorified, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what we're going to do. The uh, prayer team is going to be up here. We're just going to worship. I invite you to come if you have a prayer need today. If you don't.